Thank you, Ariella. My name is Doug Jones, and I am the campus and teaching pastor here, and it is a joy and privilege seeing everyone here. A lot of you have switched places, so you're going to make me all confused because I see balcony people on the floor and some floor people up on the balcony. So if I get confused today, it is all y'all's fault. No, I'm just teasing. It is a pleasure seeing each and every one of you today. Those worshiping with us online, welcome to the church at Woodbine. Our prayer for each and every one of you today is that your eyes would be open to see Jesus more clearly, to love him more deeply and more dearly. We are here in the book of Luke. So if you've closed your Bibles or turned your smartphones off, please open them back up to Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to do a quick little tangent. Trell, you might have the gift of preaching, brother. Thank you. So Trell and I talk a lot about worship and just the act of worship. And I'm not going to go off of some tangent, but I want to encourage you, read Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you know that I love hymns and I love the old hymns. And I think some of you guys have even heard some of my jokes about some of the more recent praise songs that only focus on me, myself, and I and how I feel when it should be all focused on our Heavenly Father. One of the things that I've learned that I learned in Mexico with Pentecostals and hardcore charismatics is the importance of staying and remaining in the presence of God. And sometimes we have too much of an agenda, especially when we come to worship. Let's get the songs done. Let's get her done to the real stuff, the preaching of the word. It is all worship. And the angels will be standing before our Heavenly Father. They've done it ever since they were created. And they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they repeat that day and night. And these holy angels who have never sinned, they cover their faces with two sets of their wings. They cover their bodies with two other sets of wings. And then with the other set of wings, they have six wings. Fly and they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy. And sometimes I ask myself, I get so excited when my sports team gets a, scores a goal or scores a touchdown. Or I get very angry and might throw something at the TV. Right, Angela? But sometimes when I come to church, I might feel inhibited. Or show too much emotion. Really? Really? There's a time and place for everything. That's another sermon for another day. Anyway, we're dismissed. No, I'm just teasing. Luke chapter 24. For those who've not been with us, we've been in the gospel of Luke for five months. We started in the first week of Advent, the last Sunday of November, and today is our last Sunday in the book of Luke. We haven't gone through every single verse of the gospel of Luke, but it's amazing gospel. And I want to encourage you, if you've never read the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, do it. And here on this chapter, chapter 24, it's the road to Emmaus. And a quick little review, we have two disciples. We know the name of one of them, Cleopas or Cleopas. Who's the other disciple? It might be his wife, Mary. We don't know. It could be another disciple, another man. We really don't know. But they're going along and they have heard that Jesus is resurrected, but they haven't seen him. And if you remember two weeks ago, they're arguing and discussing all that had happened to Jesus, who they thought was a prophet. They didn't understand all of his teachings that he would have to suffer and die and that he was the Messiah. They kind of believed. 
But they really were off and they were misinformed. They didn't understand that their eyes of the hearts were closed to who Jesus really was. And then who comes with them on the throne? Who comes with them on the road? Who is it? It's Jesus. And it says a couple of times, they did not recognize him. Why? And we've talked about why couldn't they recognize Jesus? Did God hide that from them? Was it because they are so stooped and steeped in their grief that they couldn't see clearly? Or was it because of their own preconceived ideas about who the Messiah should have been? That they couldn't see him? Was it their own sin or their own unbelief, their hard heart? We don't know. Was it a combination of all the above? I say yes. And Jesus meets them where they're at. Say, meet them where they're at. Now you're speaking in tongues. Great. Let me translate that for you. Meet them where they're at. That's one of the great promises that we have from our Heavenly Father. He meets us where we are. And he listens to us. And Jesus listened and listened. And he asked questions. And he listened. We've been given two ears and one. It's not a coincidence. And then after he listens for a while, then he says, how foolish you are. There's a time and place where we need to confront and speak boldly to people and get in their face. And speak truth with power and humility and gentleness and yet boldness. And it takes great maturity to speak with boldness and gentleness. And it says that Jesus unpacked the scriptures for them. And I know this is a big review, but I want to encourage you. And this is the first slide we've got. Last week, I challenged everybody to do three things of one thing. Read one chapter a day. Buy you a little notebook. It's this simple. A little notebook like this. You don't have to get the fancy ones that have moleskin that cost $30,000. A simple little notebook. I want to encourage you to do it. Read one chapter a day, write down one verse a day, and then write down one thought, personal thought about that verse that you wrote down. I praise the Lord Jesus for my dad and a couple other men in my life who taught me how to read the Bible when I was in high school. And I just want to tell you, as, as, as just out of experience, and I don't say this out of lying, I've got boxes at home. And when we moved la- last year, Christy asked me, why do you keep all these journals? Boxes of journals since high school of reading one chapter a day, writing down one verse a day, and then writing one thought a day. And it's amazing to go back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and to open one of these books and to read what God was speaking to me about. It's a testimony. We live in a microwave culture where we expect results and changes yesterday. But God is a God of crockpots. And what I mean by that, it takes a long time to cook. And Holy Spirit wants us to soak in his presence, to soak daily in his presence, reading his word. And if you never read the Bible, don't say, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a month. No, start small. But trust Holy Spirit to be consistent daily. And if you don't know where to start, start in the Gospel of Luke. We just preached on it for five months. One chapter a day. One verse a day. One thought a day. Today we're going to look at this final part of the road to Emmaus, where Jesus finally reveals himself to these two very confused, frustrated, grieving disciples. I have a question for you. 
before we get started. What is the first meal described in the Bible? Think back in the Old Testament. When was the first meal described and written about? Adam and Eve in the garden. What happened? Sin, death, and destruction. The old man, the old woman. In sin, death, and destruction. The first meal of the new covenant. What is it? This story right here in Luke 24. See, the new covenant didn't start till Jesus rose from the dead. And the very first meal in the new covenant is right here when Jesus opens their eyes so that they see him clearly. New life, eternal life, the gospel, Jesus revealing himself to two very lost, confused, grieving people. Hospitality. I've got a picture of some of my best friends in Mexico, Gerardo and Olga. They were the first adults in our neighborhood who got saved and baptized in our church, the very first ones. When Gerardo got saved, it literally opened the floodgates in our neighborhood for the gospel for men. My very first Christmas in Mexico, I'd been there for five months, could start to learn the language, and half of our ministry team, mission team, who I live with, they went back to the States for Christmas. So it was my first Christmas away from home. It was my first birthday away from home. I wasn't all alone, but I stayed at their house. They had dirt floors. They had an outhouse, and they must have had 100 people in their house, all relatives, on Christmas Eve night. I still look back at it, and it was one of the most amazing Christmases I ever had. My first meal in Mexico in someone's house was at their house, and they gave me this chicken fit soup that was the most spicy stuff I've ever had on the planet. I had no idea what I was eating, and so I just looked at their 12-year-old son, and whatever he ate, I ate it. I would go to their home and just, I would lay on the couch and fall asleep. I truly felt like one of their kids. Olga has passed away. She died a couple years ago of diabetes. She's with Jesus. Watching some of their grandchildren leading the youth group of the church in Mexico today is amazing. Hospitality. They not only opened the physical doors of their home, they open their hearts and their minds and their lives to me, to Christy, to my kids, to our whole ministry team. And they were truly people of peace. Hospitality, open doors. How hospitable are we to open our lives first and foremost to our Heavenly Father, to King Jesus, inviting him into our lives, but then opening our lives to others, to those around us to walk together to follow him. Here in Luke chapter 24, right here, and I've kind of done the whole story, but real quickly, right here in verse 28, it says they've been walking for several miles now, and it's getting dark. And here in verse 28, it says they came near the village they were going to. And he, being Jesus, he gave the impression that he was going on. But in verse 29, it says, but they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So here we have it. Jesus and these two disciples are walking along and the two disciples get to where they're going. And Jesus kind of, well, see you later. Bye. And they're like, no, no, stay. 
And this is very important because back during Jesus' time at night, you wouldn't travel at night. It's very dangerous. And so they urged Jesus to stay with them. And I can think part of the reason why they urged him to stay was for the fact that Jesus had been unpacking the scriptures. And we'll see here in verse 32 that they told each other that our hearts were burning inside of us. You see, one of the descriptions of the scripture is that God's word, his written word, it's like fire. Another description of Holy Spirit is fire. And God burns inside of us. And many times, I'll just tell you this, when we would pray for healing, for people, physical healing, many times right before the healing would come, they would feel fire in their bodies and they would be healed. Fire. And so they were burning. They urged Jesus, stay with us because I can imagine that they're wanting Jesus to teach them more. I can imagine they were also concerned that he might get hurt. Someone might try to rob him, kind of like, you know, the Good Samaritan story. So no, stay with us. And so he does. Now, Jesus being God in the flesh, he knew everything that was going on. They still didn't recognize Jesus. Remember, they still did not recognize who he was. This amazes me. Why? And then it says here in verse 31, verse 30, it says, It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread. Now, Jesus is the guest, but he's now becoming the host because he takes the bread. For many of us, Jesus might be a guest in our lives, but is he the host of your life? Is he the ruler and king and Lord of your life? Or just an invited friend that you invite him into your lives, but when he's inconvenient? See you later, Jesus. It says, Jesus, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to him. I'll stop right there because these two disciples, they were part of that inner circle. They have been with Jesus for a few years. They're not the apostles, but they're right there with them. When they see Jesus take the bread, when he prays over that bread, when he breaks that bread and he gives it to them, what do you think they're reminded of? The feeding of the 5,000? Feeding of the 4,000, the hundreds of times that they were with Jesus around a campfire in someone's home, and they saw him take bread and pray over it and bless it and break it and give it to everyone there at the table. When else? The Last Supper. Jesus takes the leadership role in this home with these two disciples, and he takes that bread And he prays over and blesses it. He breaks that bread. He gives it to them. What does it say? And their eyes, then their eyes were opened and they recognized them. They recognized them and their eyes were opened. And they recognized them. What did Jesus do? Gone. He disappeared. He disappeared. That's so Jesus in the, after the resurrection. Come and go, come and go, come and go. Their eyes were opened. You see, it takes God to be able to see God and love God. 
Paul talks about in Romans 9, and I'm not going to go down that chapter because, oof, that chapter, that's one of those, I'll wait until Jesus, I see Jesus to understand that chapter, Romans 9. God has mercy on whom he has mercy. He has compassion on whom he has compassion. And we are saved by grace. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. And unfortunately, many times as Christians, we stand pontificating about the faith and the truth of the gospel as if we have earned it or we deserve it. But we are utter beggars who've been given bread, eternal bread. And he's calling us to give that same bread away to others. But I think too many times we are walk around with great arrogance thinking that, oh, we're right. When we forget, it says in verse 16 of this same chapter that they were kept from recognizing him. And then here in verse 45, in Luke, right here in chapter 24, verse 45, when Jesus appears to the 12 later on this evening, then it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If you're reading the Bible and you don't get it, you don't understand it, ask Jesus, Jesus, open my mind, open my heart to understand. If you're talking and sharing the faith with an unbeliever and they don't seem to get it, they seem so, so tonto, so dumb, and they just don't get it. Pray that God would take the veil away because, see, Scripture talks about how Satan has blinded the world with a veil. And even though Scripture is read, they do not see, they do not understand. And for the fact that you and I can see and understand God's word, it's because of God's great grace. It's because Jesus has opened the truth of the scriptures to you and to me because of his mercy. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it. Do you see the grace that Jesus pours out upon us? Do you see his mercy? Why has he chosen us to be his sons and daughters? What have we done? Why did Jesus appear to these two disciples and not John the apostle? Or the others, why was it these two? It's his mercy. They didn't deserve it. You don't deserve his forgiveness or salvation, but he wants to give it to you because he's a merciful father. He's a loving father. And there are many other people in our lives who don't deserve his grace or mercy, but our heavenly father is asking us, will you be bold enough to share his love, the love and truth of the gospel to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your teacher, to your students, to your clients, to your boss, to your supervisor? Because the gift of eternal life and forgiveness that we have, it's a gift so that no one can boast. So how dare we, con- we condemn those who don't get it or don't understand? We need to pray for them that God would open their eyes. Right here in verse 32, look at what they say. And this is one of my favorite verses. It says right here, they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while, we were talk- while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? I pray this all the time for me and for you, because many times for me, reading God's word, man, it's like oatmeal without anything in it, especially when it's numbers and Leviticus and the book of Job and Psalms and some of the other ones, the book of Job. Come on, guys, it's a joke. Yeah, we can pronounce them all bad, Leviticus and Job and Palms and the whole nine yards. Sometimes I don't want to read. 
but we need to pray for ourselves, for our church, for our city, for our nation, for the world. God, bring revival. Bring true revival. Not so that we can have the good life here, but so that Jesus is glorified and so that there's a great harvest. Revival. He says our hearts were burning inside of us as he unpacked the scriptures. And that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11. Those are the 11 apostles minus Judas. They found the 11 and those with whom they were gathered to. Who said, and they said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And then what does it say here in verse 35? Then they began to describe what had happened on the road. Can you see these two? These two run back. Now they run about a seven kilometer race. Remember, it's nighttime and the risk of being attacked by robbers. They are running the risk, but the urgency of the gospel, the urgency of the resurrected Christ is powerful. I was talking with a friend the other day, and I'll share this with you. Do you guys understand that on this planet, there's more than 7 billion people that live on this planet? That's with a B, 7 billion. Right now on this planet, there are 2.5 billion people with a B that have never heard the name Jesus Christ in their life. And they are sinners, and they are lost, and when they die, the scriptures are very clear that they will go to hell. If we do not, if someone does not put their faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, where do they go when they die? Scripture is very clear. They go to hell. Let alone everyone else that lives around us that's becoming secular or from other faiths. And I'm not saying that to be exclusive. But it's the reality because everyone is born a sinner. Everyone is born dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins. And salvation is found in no one else but Christ alone. That's one of the things I love about the fact that God has brought international people to our church. Some who are already believers. Many have never heard the name of Jesus before. That's why I love the fact that we can push people out of this church to go to the mission field across the oceans. And I'm going to brag on Woodbine. There are 11 family units that are on the field or going to the field from Woodbine. There are three more young people planning to leave this year. I'm not going to tell you their names, but three more. That makes 14 family units from this little congregation. Now, if we weren't part of Brentwood Baptist Church, we would never be able to financially support 14 family units on the mission field. But I brag about it. I want to send our best away. No offense to those who are staying. I hope you got that. Because there's more than plenty of gospel testimony here. But even out of God's great grace to us, there's 91 people groups here in Middle Tennessee right now. The nations are coming to Nashville. And it needs to be a both and where we share the gospel here and go. Because when people die who don't believe in Jesus, their destiny is eternal separation from our Heavenly Father forever. Forever. Do we get it? Do you get it? And the responsibility to share the gospel is upon us, the church, with everyone with whom we come in contact with. 
Family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, just the list goes on and on. And if we don't tell them, who will? So this couple, these two disciples, they risk their lives to run back to Jerusalem at night. Because the gospel is so important, the resurrection is so important, they do not care what they will suffer. And they get to the 11, they get to the rest of the small group of Christians, the only Christians so far on on heaven, on, on earth, sorry. And they say, it's true, the Lord has risen. And then here in verse 35, look at what it says. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. There's a couple things here, very quickly. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about the apostles. What radically changed the apostles from being timid and afraid and denying Jesus and abandoning Jesus the night he is crucified? And then in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John have already been flogged and they're threatened to never teach and preach in the name of Jesus again. And this is their response. So they called for them and they ordered them to speak, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is the Sanhedrin telling Peter and John to shut up. These are the same men that were responsible for crucifying Jesus months earlier. And look at what Peter says. Look at what John say just a few months after the resurrection. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. Here's the kicker. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have heard and what we have seen. Peter and John and the rest of the apostles, these two disciples, they have seen Jesus risen and they can't help but share it. They cannot help but share it. You see, the gospel, there's an urgency to the gospel. I've already talked about it. If people don't put their faith in Jesus, they are going to hell when they die. There's no other way. And Jesus has called us to make disciples of all nations. To share the gospel, not only with our words, but our actions with boldness and humility and great love. There's a, I don't know really how famous he is. I'm going to quote it here in a second. But there's three things in this story that I want to highlight. First, the first one is the power of hospitality in groups. Jesus and these two other disciples. And Chris and I have talked a lot about it. If you're not in a small group, we urge you to get in a group. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. And a group can easily start with three people. Three people and a Bible. And as we move out of COVID, a table, a fellowship of love, of encouragement, of edification and evangelism. Invite your non-Christian friends to be part of that group. That's what Jesus did. The power of hospitality. The second one is is the urgency of the gospel. And then the third one is the importance of the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper. When Jesus took that bread and he prayed over that bread and he broke that bread and he gave it to these two disciples, most of the early church fathers, and those are the disciples of the apostles. We have tons of their writings from the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century. 
Most of the early church fathers and church leaders, when they discussed this chapter, Luke 24, when Jesus took the bread and he blessed, prayed over it, and he broke it and gave it, it's word supper. It's not just the meal. And their eyes were opened. Many of us are afraid to do the Lord's Supper too much so that it doesn't become a routine. And I hear that. I get that. Do you eat every day? Doesn't that become a routine? And I don't know about you, but every time we have Lord's Supper here together, the power of worship during that time. That's why we sing during Lord's Supper. We're not just passing around a little snack. We don't want just, okay, here we go. And I know it's complicated right now with these little to-go packs. I hate it. But all right, Jesus, we'll do it this way for a while. But we want to be safe right now and careful. But the Lord's Supper, do you see in this story here, they gathered around the table and their focus was on Jesus. And as he prayed over that bread, and as he broke that bread, as he gave that bread, their eyes were open to see Jesus, to recognize Jesus. So during the Lord's Supper, as we take this little bread and this little cup, and as we worship, our focus should be on who? On him. And as Chris leads us in the liturgy today, you'll see in the liturgy, and the liturgy just means the work of the people. It's prayers and it's scripture, but it's to help us focus upon the gospel, and it's the gospel and only the gospel. Because see, with the gospel, there's an urgency. And there's a famous musician. He's His name is Penn Gillette. You would recognize him if you saw him. He's a magician, comedian, does a lot of stuff. And he's a, uh, what do you call it, a self-proclaimed, I think, atheist. This is what he says about proselytizing. Look at what he says. He says, I have always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That's sharing your faith. For the non-believer, that's kind of pushing your faith on the non-believer. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? I'm going to read that again. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? If we truly believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that people who don't believe in Jesus are going to hell, how much do we hate that person not to tell them that Jesus is the way? And our excuse is, is we don't want to be labeled intolerant or judgmental or be pushy. Think about it. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe Everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you don't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. You can find that quote on YouTube. Pendulette. Proselytize. It'll come up. It's about a minute and a half long. The gospel is worth it. 
It costs Jesus everything. And he gives it, gives it to us. And it costs us everything too. Because if we want to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. In closing, and I'm just going to jump to the end, guys. Let's go ahead and stand. We've got a couple questions I want to read to you. And as we approach the Lord's table today, think about what the resurrected Jesus means for you and for me. What does the resurrected Jesus mean for your past, for your present? What does the resurrected Jesus mean for our future? What does the resurrected Jesus mean for all the promises that he gave us while here on earth? What does the resurrected Jesus mean for the burdens we carry, the trials we're in, maybe the desert or the mental struggles you find yourself in today, or the loneliness? What does the resurrected Jesus mean for your future? What does the resurrected Jesus mean for all the social upheaval that's going on in our country and the world? Think about that today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I have two questions just to challenge all of us with today. This is the first question. If you guys could put it on the board, it would be great. So those last questions. The first one is this. Who do you need to invite into your home and, more importantly, into the rhythms of your life so that they can both hear and experience the gospel through you? Here's the second question. What is keeping you from inviting the lost and searching person into your life with Jesus? Ponder that. Think about it.